0: touch the world but it couldn't fail me man's empty place and treasures that fade. I never enough. then you came along and put me back together the God of the valley There's not a place that your mercy and grace won't find me
1: Good morning. I love the line in that song. It just simply says this, Lord, there's nothing better than you. Think about that. Through Christ, we are saved, we are sustained, and we are satisfied over and over again. There is nothing in all this world that can feel those three things over and over and over and be faithful to those except our Lord and Savior. He can save, he can sustain, and he will satisfy and because of that, we are here to worship. I'm so glad you could join us today, that you made your way through the slush this morning to be here with us to worship. For those of you online, thank you for joining us. And for those in the parking lot, as we say every week, we're glad that y'all are tuning in. But um, as we gather here today, if you're visiting with us today, we would encourage you before you leave to stop by our guest table. It's located in the front lobby. We have a guest bag we would love to put in your hands. That's some information on our church. But just to thank you for being here today. But right now, we're going to ask everyone to stand and uh, just take just a minute, holler at somebody, because we're not real close today. You can yell. That's all right in church. And welcome one another to the service.
2: Guys, thank you, and you may be seated. Now is the time in our service where we're going to have a baby dedication. I'm going to ask Logan and Jayla Walters to come up on the stage with me. And if you guys will just come over here on this side and their little son, Carter. If you'll stand here, Logan, you'll stand right here. If you'll show everybody, Carter, any a cute little fella? Well, I'm honored to be your pastor. Uh, they joined uh, last, um, well, it was probably last August, I believe it was, when you guys joined East Hills Baptist Church, and they're very faithful here, and I really appreciate them. You're a cute little fella, buddy. <laughs> And uh, we're really thankful for you guys being here. And In this service today, what you're doing before your family and friends, before our church, and before a whole bunch of people online, is that you're going to make a covenant. And our church is going to make a covenant as well. And your covenant says that you're going to do the best that you can to love each other. And in loving each other, you're going to love Jesus and raise this young man up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And then our church is going to make a covenant as well. That we'll do everything that we can as a church to help Carter come to know Jesus and to help him to grow spiritually. He's a cute little fellow, isn't he? But I want to read this verse of Scripture. Mark 10 says this, Then they brought little children to him, that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it, and he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. So we know how Jesus loves children. So I'm going to share this covenant with you. If it's a desire, both your hearts respond by saying we do. And to Logan and Jalen, presenting Carter to the Lord. Do you promise through God's grace and the help of the church to teach your child the truths of the Christian faith? Do you also promise through prayer, word, and example to bring Carter up in the nurture, discipline, and instruction of our Lord? All right, Church. Uh, When this pandemic is over, many of you will have Carter in nursery, Sunday school, all the way up through student ministry. You'll be working with him through VBS, and I'm going to ask you a question as well, and you respond by saying we do. Do you promise to provide spiritual instruction for Carter by giving of your time, talent, and resources to help him come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? And do you promise to pray for Logan and Jayla as they seek to raise Carter in the fear and admonition of the Lord? If so, would you respond by saying we do? Alright, well thank you very much. We want to give you several things today. The first, Justin, if you'll hand on the, the little youth t-shirt, which it'll be a while before you can wear it, but there it is. We also have a Bible here. Let me open that up. Can you help me? Ironically enough, it's Carolina Blue. So, for you, and that's Logan's little Bible. We also have a, a certificate of dedication. And with every uh, baby dedication we'd like to give the Lamb's Book out. This is good for adults, children and youth. It just explains the gospel and why that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God, why his sacrifice was necessary, why there's no uh, remission of sins without the shedding of blood, and why his resurrection and belief in the resurrected Christ is the only way that we can be saved. All right, and I'll give that to you, Logan, as well. And then this is a letter that I've personally written to Carter. It's for his eyes only. The day that he receives Christ, whether he's 5 or 15 or 25 or 35 this is his letter okay and it explains what happened this day it explains that we prayed for Logan and Jayla but primarily we pray, prayed for Carter to be born again and that's what we're going to pray for now so I'll give that to you as well Logan let's pray. Father as we come to you in prayer Lord I want to thank you for Logan and Jayla I pray that you continue to bless their marriage Lord I pray that they would um, Lord, be an example of Jesus to, to Carter and Father, I pray that as a pastor, I would preach the gospel. As a church, Lord, that we would live the gospel. And Lord, we pray for his salvation now. That's what this dedication's about. Lord, we pray that you'd save him at a young age, use him for his glory. And I pray that because of his birth, the name of Jesus would be glorified and your kingdom would be expanded. And we'll thank you and praise you for it. And Lord, we're asking it in the name of Jesus. In his name I pray and all the God's people say together, amen. Well, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Thank you both so much. God bless you. God bless you. And if you all will stand with us as the praise team leads us in song.
3: Face in life that we're not alone and the Lord's with us. Uh, I want to remind you about our missionary of the month, is uh, Word of Messiah Ministries, with Sam Nadler. He'll be here next Sunday to preach. I hope you'll come and, and be a part of that. He'll have a great message for us for next week. Also, I want to, to read a verse of scripture, uh, and it's in Psalms 27, verse 1, talking about David saying this He says, The Lord is my light and my salvation whom shall I fear you know there's a lot of fear in our country today but we don't need to fear because the Lord is on our side the latter part of the verse says the Lord is the stronghold of my life is he the stronghold of your life I hope he is this morning if not he can be of whom shall I be afraid you know God with God all things are possible join me in prayer together let's pray one for another And let's pray for our service today. Let's pray for our missionaries that are serving in foreign souls and also here in America. Father, we thank you this morning that, Father, you're our light and you're our salvation. Whom shall we fear? Lord, you're on our side. You're our our stronghold this morning. Lord, I pray you'd help us to be fearless and and to be people of faith, to trust you in the days that we're living. Father, we pray you'd help us to walk in the victorious Christ that we know, that that you're more than a conqueror through him who loved us. And Father, this morning, we bless you and we praise you this morning. Father, we pray for the service this morning that you'd bless Jamie as he comes to preach your word. We pray that your word would be exalted above your name and that people would be strengthened because of your word. Father, your word's everlasting, and we trust your word today and through all eternity. Father, we love you this morning. We thank you for loving us. And Father, we pray you bless this day in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.
2: Um, As they're going down, I just want to reiterate what Mark said. Sam Nadler, who is uh, one of the missionaries that we support here, so when you tithe, you give to his ministry. Um, He'll be here next Sunday preaching. Sam is a really good preacher. He's uh, uh, Jewish, and the Lord saved him, and one of his calls in life is to plant churches or start churches in Jewish communities. Uh, That's his part of fulfilling the Great Commission. He also has a really good online ministry that has resources that really helps explain Old Testament how it applies to the New Testament so I would encourage you to be here next week to uh, listen to Sam Nadler the last several weeks we've been talking about this thought authentic Christianity what does it look like to be an authentic, what does it look like to be a real Christian and for 11 chapters Paul gives us theology after theology some of the greatest theology in all the Bible Okay. then in chapter 12 he says you must apply this now stand with me if you will if you have your Bibles, look at verse 1 Because the only way to apply these two verses that I'm going to share with you today is to really live out verses 1 and 2. Notice what he says. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. It's probably been 12 weeks since I preached that verse. So important to present. That means I'm, I'm doing this today. It means that you decide this on a day as a Christian. God, on this day I give my body and my life to you. Again, afresh and anew. I surrender to you, okay? Everything that comes after uh, from verses three through the end of the chapter happens because of verses one and two. If you've not done verses one and two, you'll never be able to do what I'm talking to you today, or i gonna share with you today. He says this Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And what is that good, acceptable, perfect will of God for you? Part of it is obeying verses 3 through 21. Now notice verse 14. The Bible says this. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. And then he says this. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. From verse 3 to verse 13, all these things apply to the church first. Last week we talked about being generous, distributing to the needs of the saints. You start in the church first. That's why I use the word saints. One another means with the church of the same kind. Then he changes. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you, which means persecution could come in the church or outside the church. Do not curse those in the church or outside the church. Rejoice with those who rejoice. That could be outside the church. And weep with those who weep. What a great ministry to a lost community when you have showed compassion and sympathy in their time of heartache. Listen, two verses that are easy to read, easy to preach, boy, you're gonna find out they're so hard to live out. Father, as we come to you in prayer, I pray that we would live an authentic Christian life. Lord, these two ver- verses seem so simple, but Lord, they're so hard to do sometimes. And Father, the only way they can be we can be obedient to you is to surrender ourselves. As verses 1 and 2 says, Lord, this is really where the rubber meets the road. This is where real Christianity is lived out whenever we bless those who per- persecute us. And Lord, it's so, it sounds so simple, but rejoicing with those who rejoice, that's so unnatural in this world that we live in today. But Lord, if we do this, your name is glorified, and surely your kingdom will be expanded. And we'll thank you and praise you for what you do for us, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, in verse 3, Paul, Paul makes this statement. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you. And what he's saying is this. Because you have been shown grace by God when you did not deserve it, then you should show grace to the church especially, but to all people. And let me repeat that. Because you have been shown grace, he says in verse 3, all right, by God, which means it's God in his own decision chose to save us, then we should show grace and be gracious. MacArthur put it this way, and here he winds the circle to discuss how we're to live in the relationship to everybody, whether they be believers or unbelievers, and he starts out with the worst of people that we may meet. Notice, he says this. He's he's just going to a general statement, not particularly about the family of faith, but people in general, and he says this, Bless them and do not curse them. Notice what verse 14 says. He makes this statement. Bless. look at the Greek word, those who persecute. Now, look at the word persecute. Long word in English is three words in the Greek, D-I-K. It means they're continually harassing you. Now, we know in Paul's day that went on to mean that it was bodily harm almost to the point of death. But that's not what, necessarily what he's meaning here. He's meaning there are people, because of your faith in Christ, they persecute you verbally and emotionally. You may lose your job. And and according to the word, the way Paul wrote it, it means they're not stopping. Okay? It's something that you have to deal with every day. All right? And he says this is what you're to do to those who persecute you. You're to bless. He says two things. You're to bless and not to curse. We're going to look first at the word bless. Then we're going to look at the word curse. Look at the Greek word. You know what that sounds a lot like? It sounds a lot like our word eulogy. The word means this. It means to speak good or well. When this term is used, it is used by men toward men. It speaks well of and praises. It means the word praise. It means thanksgiving. It means to eulogize that person. It's usually used at a funeral when someone praises a person who has died. It's to pronounce a wish of happiness to one, to express a wish or a desire of happiness. And who are you doing this to? The people who are persecuting you. Notice what uh, Psalm 104 says. On the screen, it says this Bless the Lord. That's the same word. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And then notice what the the psalmist says Oh my God, Lord God, you're very great. You're clothed with splendor and majesty. Stephen Lawson put it this way Now you know, if you don't understand Romans 1 through 11, you can't understand this because this is unnatural. It goes against our nature to bless those who persecute us. I must steal. Jamie, my last name is Steele. It goes against my family tree on my own to bless those who persecute me. Okay? Our our first response before we're saved is give them a knuckle sandwich. You ever ate one of those? Well, you persecute a steel and you'll get one. Alright? But when God saves us, what do you do? You bless those who persecute you. Alright? Now listen to what Lawson goes on to say. In Romans 8, we know why we can do this. Because God is causing all things even those people who bring us grief to work together for good to those that love God do you believe that now I preach romans 8 one of the greatest chapters in all the bible all things work together for good to those that love God and are called to his persons, person even persecution and what stephen lawson says is this that if you trust god in that even what you're going through now is going to work out for your good to those who are called according to his purpose you see you have to you have got to have the first 11 chapters of romans To even begin to understand chapters 12 through 16. Everything in chapters 12 through 16 hinges on what we've already studied in Romans to this point. God is in charge. He even uses the persecution to do what? To drive us to the end of ourselves. Why? Because Romans 8.29 says that God's desire is that we might be conformed into the image of Christ. He goes on to say this. Now when persecution happens, what typically happens is bitterness. And he says this, it's the saddest thing in the world. When people live with bitterness inside them. Hebrews says this, Do not let a root of bitterness grow up, thereby defiling many. Do you know where that comes from? When you're persecuted, you get bitter, you get mad. It comes from not being surrendered, which verses 1 and 2 talks about. It comes from not understanding that only when you are surrendered is this your logical, reasonable, spiritual service of worship. Verse 1 says this, that when you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable to God, is your reasonable or sensible? It really, it's your act of worship. Remember, we talked about that. Worshiping is not just raising your hands in church, it's living Monday through Saturday. And you want to worship God, then live in this way, surrendered when you are persecuted. I'm not saying it's easy. Because the old nature in all of us, when we're pushed, our old nature is to push back. All right? even as Christians it happens all the time he says when you make this offering of yourself to God you can God can transform you renew your mind and you're going to think differently from that point on about what you're even going through okay verse 14 doesn't happen without verse 1 and 2 I don't care if you're born again or not it just is not going to happen this is so unnatural to bless somebody that curses you but understand this this is not a new principle we've seen it before if you've ever read Jesus' sermon on the mount, which is one of the, is the greatest sermon ever preached, Jesus mentions this. Paul basically takes part of Luke and part of Matthew and puts this verse together. Notice what he says in Luke 6, 27 and 28. Jesus speaking, but I say to you who hear, okay, everybody heard him, but not everybody was listening. I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Look at the word hate. Does anybody hate you? He says if somebody, that, Jesus, just these words matter just don't use hate like we use it. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. That goes against my nature. Does it not yours? Then he says this. Here's our word. Bless those who curse you. Just like Paul said. And pray for those who spitefully use you. Look. Bless those who. Look at the word curse. He says you're not to curse people. People will curse you. You're to bless those who curse you. As a matter of fact, I like how one scholar put it. He said this. What that word bless means is this, blessing them, desiring that God would pour out upon them his goodness, his grace, and his mercy. That's hard to do. You know who did it? Jesus on the cross. When they were nailing him to the cross, the Bible says Jesus said this, he blessed them. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. If you study it in the Greek, he said it over and over again, the whole time, over and over again. It's almost like when he was carrying the cross, Father, forgive him. When he was nailing him to the cross, Father, forgive him. When he hung on the cross, the Bible says they hurled insults at him. You know who came to a crucifixion in those days? The worst of the worst in society. Just to see men die. And the Bible says they were cursing at Jesus, probably making fun of his body. He was hanging naked. His mama was there. His mama was there. Probably talking about her as well. Said, if you're God, come down from the cross and we'll believe you. You know what Jesus is saying? He's blessing them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Man, you want to be like Jesus? WWJD. I hear that all the time. Well, Jesus is showing us what you should do. You should do good to them who hate you. It goes against everything within us, even after we're saved. You know who else had this spirit in them? Stephen. As they were stoning him to death, all Stephen did was preach the gospel. And the Jews stoned him to death, which meant this. Typically what they would do is take you to a small cliff, drop you on your head, hoping you would die. If you didn't, they'd stone you with rocks till you died. And he died. And this is what Stephen said. Listen to what Stephen said. He blesses them. Lay not this sin to their charge, Lord. That's what he's praying. What a man. What a man in the kingdom. And you'll notice it says bless. It's in the present tense. It's the idea of constantly blessing it means to celebrate with praise to wish good upon. Wish goodwill on them. Those people that hate you. And Jesus is our example because it's such an unhuman, unnatural reaction. Notice what else Jesus says in Matthew 5 39? Notice what he says. But I tell you, you better listen, he says. Do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. What? If somebody slaps you on the right cheek, what does that mean? What literally does that mean? Jeff, will you stand up just a second? I'm not going to slap you. I'd knock you out. I'm kidding. Okay, where's your right cheek? My right cheek. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Now look at this. G- predominantly, most people Jesus talked to in the Old Testament or New Testament were right-handed. So if I slap you on the right cheek, how am I going to do that? Backhanded. I guess. Back-handed. Bible scholar. Boom. All right, sit down. Think about this. <laughs> Jesus is not talking about self-defense here. What person that's trying to harm you would hit you on the cheek? Nobody. Who would backhand you? It was a sign of dishonor and disgrace. If somebody wanted to dishonor you, they'd do two things in Jesus' day. They would spit on you. Notice they spit on Jesus. They spit on Absalom's grave today, from what I understand. Or they would backhand you publicly. What's your natural reaction to that? Mm -mm. (laughs) Mm-mm. Jesus said this. They're publicly shaming you and they backhand you in front of your family and your friends. What are you to do? You want the left cheek as well? Now let me tell you something right now. If that don't go against your nature, I don't know anything that does. How can you let a grown man slap you in front of your family and friends and then you just say you won't slap the left cheek you better read verses one and two again you talking about something that's easy to preach but hard to do MacArthur said in this verse Christ is not referring to an attack on one's body you have a right to self-defense it's all over the Bible but an attack on one's honor a backhanded slap was considered a terrible indignity especially publicly It was being treated with disdain. It would not hurt as much as it would embarrass and bring shame. And what Christ is saying is this, be willing to be ridiculed for Christ's sake. In Jesus' context, it's almost like I deny your faith. But in our context, it could be just about anything, right? There again, we're not talking about self-defense. We're talking about here somebody just publicly shaming you. And then you just turn the other cheek man, how does that play out today? Mm, I could say social media, but I'm not going to. Are you willing to turn the other cheek for the good of the kingdom? You know how many people's minds you've changed on Facebook? Nobody's. Let me say that again. You know how many people's minds you have changed on Facebook? Absolutely, positively nobody. You're not changing anybody's mind. Absolutely nobody's mind. If you share the gospel, you mind. Arguing about politics, you're changing nobody's mind. I've tried to change Duke fans' minds for 25 years, and they're still as crazy and odd as they've ever been. They pull for a blue devil. How do they do that, all right? You don't change anybody's minds, okay? But it's your tendency, it's your nature. When somebody says something you don't agree with, to what? Smack back, right? Right? Why don't you just try turning the other cheek? I apply that to myself. Okay? You know why it's so hard? Even as a Christian, it goes so much against our nature. But what if somebody did this to you publicly? Physically? So hard. Listen to what Jesus says. Peter said this about Jesus. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And These are the steps. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, same thing as almost like slapping you on the cheek, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Man, WWJD. It's easy to wear a bracelet. It's real easy to wear a bracelet. It's really hard to apply this. Without verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12, you can't do it. That's why I say the word surrender... In chapter and verse one is just a daily thing. It's so hard. We're human, okay? I'm not trying to say anybody's worse than the other. We're all guilty at times, are we not? We're all guilty. It's so easy to get caught up in the moment. Notice what else Jesus says, Matthew 5:41. I'm sure by this time the, his audience was ready just to have him to be quiet. He says this: If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Talking about loving your enemies. Now, listen to this. During the days of Christ, the law of the land gave, this was the law of the land, because the Jews were under Roman occupation. All right? During the days of Christ, the law of the land gave a Roman soldier the right to force a citizen to carry his gear for one mile. You had to. If you were going anywhere with your family and a soldier came up to you, didn't matter how he spoke to you, dropped his gear, the law says you carry it for one mile, suffer the consequences. You carried the gear. Regardless of what your day looked like. Think about how that inconvenienced you. Not only that, only that. The Jews especially hated this practice. Not only because it interrupted their day. But because they had to help their oppressors. They were oppressed people. They were. All of the New Testament is written under this Roman oppression. It's hard to apply some of that to our context. But he says this. This doesn't apply to us today so much. He says, if a soldier demands you to carry his gear for a mile... Carry it two miles. What? Does that not go against your nature? Does that not go radically against your nature? And then in verse 40, he says this. I don't know if it's going to be up on the screen. He says, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Wow. And I'll read the commentary on that. Even the law of Moses did not allow for someone to take someone's coat or cloak. That was an important garment that doubled as a blanket in the cold night. In other words, when it comes to your property and your liberty, take the radical step of bestowing grace upon your enemy. Totally against our nature. He also goes on to say this. Look at verse 14. Bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse. Why do he say do not curse? Because you want to curse them. You want to curse these people. The Greek word is used six times in the New Testament. Listen to how it's used. Matthew twenty five forty one, Jesus said this, Then he will say to those on his left hand, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. What Paul's saying is, don't wish people go to Hades. <laughs> Alright? Don't do that. And then in Mark eleven twenty one, the Bible says, Being reminded, Peter said to him, Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered. Jesus cursed the fig tree and it withered. Jesus says, Bless people that persecute you. Don't curse them. Goliath and the Philistine giant of Gath cursed David's gods. In Bible times, a curse was considered to be more than a mere wish that evil would befall one's enemies. It was believed to possess the power to bring about the evil. The cursor spoke. Do not pray for people's harm that persecute you. Next verse, he says is this, Rejoice with them that rejoice. You say, that is so much better. Is it? Do you rejoice when other people have good fortune hit upon their lives? Think about this for a minute. Rejoice with them that rejoice. <laughs> Bible scholar says this. And that's another distinctly Christian thing. That is that we enjoy someone else's joy. That is the absence of jealousy. I mean, this is a distinctly Christian characteristic to rejoice at someone else's prosperity, born again or not, inside the church or not. You're to rejoice with them that rejoice. Proverbs 17, 5 says this. The ungodly are described as those who are glad at the calamity of others. The church is not. You say, how does that play out? Listen, it is distinctly Christian to be blessed at someone else's joy, to be able to rejoice with someone else's joy. Let's see how this plays out. If your neighbor, let's say they're not related to you, okay? if it's your mom or dad, you're going to want this to happen. If your neighbor would win the lottery, would you be happy for them? I didn't give you a dime think about it what if you and a coworker put in to be promoted as boss and they win and they're your boss and you lost the promotion are you going to rejoice it means be overjoyed with praise for them let me say this what if you dated a girl for 5 years guys and she broke up with you in 6 months married your best friend and he's happy you going to rejoice with those who rejoice Easier said than done, isn't it? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Rejoice with those who rejoice. The opposite of rejoice with those who rejoice is this envy those who rejoice, compete with those who rejoice, avoid those who rejoice, resent those who rejoice. Listen, maybe for you, this is the greatest test of grace. Now listen, you can console somebody, but you cannot congratulate them. You get jealous at other people's successes. You're not alone in this struggle. Paul said this to Titus. He says this, For we also once were foolish ourselves, spending our life, this is, the, this is a sign of the old nature, spending our life in malice and envy. Malice means this, the intention or desire to do evil, ill will, or to wish it on someone, even to pray for it. Envy is this, a feeling of discontented or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions, qualities, or luck in life. See, if you're going to rejoice with those who rejoice, they're happy about their good fortune. Are you happy for them? It's distinctly unnatural in a lost society to be this way, but it's very natural or should be natural for a Christian. Paul goes on to say this. I'll read the first verse of that again. For we also once were foolish ourselves, spending our life in malice and envy, but when the kindness of our God and Savior And His love for mankind appeared. He saved us. That being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So be careful to engage in good deeds. Avoid controversies, strife, and disputes. Basically what he's saying is, what Paul says in verse 15, Rejoice with those who rejoice. It means to demonstrate graciousness. Rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Ask God to cleanse your motives, your heart of envy, and practice selfish, selfish, selflessness, I'm sorry. And then in verse 15, he also says this. Weep with those that weep. This is also distinctly Christian to be sympathetic and not indifferent. The, the normal thing in our society today is just to be indifferent at other people's suffering. But Jesus says this. Weep with those who weep. Mourn with those who mourn. Same word. That word for mourn or week means this. this. This comes from the Greek word, K-L-A-I. It means to shed tears. Where have we seen that before? Have we seen grown men in the Bible just bawling their eyes out because somebody else is hurting? Well, notice this verse on the screen in John 11. Shortest verse in the New Testament. Jesus wept. Cried his eyes out is what the word wept means. Doesn't mean he had small tears trickling down his face at the tomb of Lazarus weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn. It's distinctly Christian. When when you go into other people's suffering when they're lost, what a tremendous opportunity. What a tremendous opportunity to be a blessing to somebody else. Don't be like Job's wife. Think about Job in the Old Testament. Job loses his children, his possessions, his health. Job's nameless wife turns up after the final blow. Job had been struck with bulls. Not only did he lose everything, but God struck him with bulls. And seeing her husband sitting in the dust, scraping his sores, she silently says this. Now, the Bible says to mourn with those who mourn, even if they're your spouse. She says this. Do you still persist in your integrity, Job? Just curse God and die. <laughs> what a blessing she was to Job. You know what that sounds like, though? Sometimes it can be the church, can it? If we're not careful... Now, look, before we throw rocks at her, she went through the same things Job did, minus the bulls. But Job says, you know, though he slay me, I'll still believe in him. It is distinctly Christian. She couldn't weep. She was going through what he was, minus the bulls. So listen, so we're to be marked then as those who are very sensitive to those around us and show compassion and sympathy when they're hurting, just like Jesus. Notice on the screen Isaiah 53. The Bible says this, that our Lord and Savior, this was prophesied hundreds of years before he was even born, he would be a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. And by the way, he's still doing this for people today. So in closing, let me ask you a question. Do you really want to be like Jesus, or do you just want to go to heaven? Christian, do you really want to be like Jesus, Or do you want to go to heaven? If you do, can you bless those who hate you? Will you love your neighbor? Do you in your heart curse others and wish ill will upon them? Can you rejoice when God blesses others and doesn't bless you? Think about that. Hey, listen, I'm the pastor of East Hazel Baptist Church. In 2004 or 5, I'm old, I can't remember. When, I, when we started getting resumes here at the church, I knew one of the guys who gave a resume. Great preacher. Good, if he'd have been pastor here, he had done as good as I've done. Good preacher. I remember on September 11th, I think the vote, they voted me in. The next Sunday, Randy Smith preached here. And I remember Randy, two things I remember about that day. Randy Smith getting up, saying how honored he was to preach after a guy had just been voted in as pastor, Right? Then I remember when I stood before the church and everybody comes by and shakes my hand. Glad you're our pastor. I've been in the interim since since March of that year. My friend who put in the resume came up and shook my hand. This is what he said. Now listen to this. I'm happy for you. You're a better preacher than I am, and you'll do better at this church than I ever could. It's not flattery for this guy. This guy is very successful. Pastor's a very successful church. Okay, good preacher. When I say he could do as good a job here as I have, he can do it. He he's doing it now. Listen, when we dedicated this church, this guy came and I gave him a tour and he said, look at what God has done through your ministry. I remember that whenever we, one Easter service we had 972 people in this building. You know the first person to call me was this guy. Was this guy. Now think about that. I don't know that I've called him much. It's like the Holy Spirit said to me in 2005. The Holy Spirit said, could you do that? If you wouldn't have been pastor here, could you have walked through that line and said, you're a better preacher than me, God's going to bless you, I'm happy for you? The Bible says this, church, to rejoice with those who rejoice. Easy to preach. Easy to quote scripture. It's a lot harder to live out. Be happy for other people's successes. And then show compassion. Listen, mourn with those who mourn and weep with those who weep. You know why? Because your day's coming. It's going to hit your house at some point. It's going to hit my house at some point. One of the greatest ministries, you want to be a missionary? Weep with those who weep. You don't have to go overseas to do that. Just beat Jesus Christ in people's suffering. Let's pray together. Fathers, we come to you in prayer. We want to thank you for your word. Lord, two verses that are so easy to preach and memorize. But Lord, they're so hard to live out. But how important they are to the kingdom of God, to our community, and to our small town. Lord, help us to bless and not curse. To rejoice with those who rejoice. And Lord, let us show compassion to those who are mourning. Father, this starts, number one, with a relationship with Jesus. And if there's anyone here who's never placed their faith and trust in you, I pray that today, through the drawing and convicting power of the Holy Spirit, that they would surrender their lives to you. And then, Father, I pray for those of us that are saved. Lord, the church can be used to cause great good or great harm. Father, if we apply these two verses, the Bible says this, Paul told Titus, do so much good in your community that when people speak badly about you, they basically have to lie about you. So, Father, help us to be what these two verses have asked us to be. And we'll thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people said, amen. God bless you. I hope you have a great Sunday afternoon and hope to see you back here next Sunday. Thank you. and You're dismissed.